0: Everybody, welcome back to the final third podcast. It is Monday. It's our news and predictions show. We are live from Jack's uh, a, a apartment bedroom right now. This is the <laughs> final third, the number one podcast that's a, a variety soccer, soccer show. So, yes, that's me, uh, AJ Tabura. I'm one of your co hosts, fan of Minnesota United, West Ham United, and the U.S. national teams. And as I mentioned before, we are in Jack's bedroom. Jack, how are you feeling?
1: Pretty good. And as always, I'm a fan of, you won't be able to see this, but I'm going to point it at all the flags in our room. Chelsea Football Club, Minnesota United, the French national team, the Slovakian national team, and the U.S. national team. Yes,
0: he has a bunch of flags of a bunch of different teams, a bunch of different countries in here. And it's a, yeah, it's pretty pretty nice, Jack. We are in person, yes. on campus. Mm-hmm. School is starting soon. How are you That's feeling about That's not so fun. <laughs> the rest of it's all good. Yeah, yeah, okay. How are you feeling about A, you know, being in person, being here in a new place, a new apartment? And B, how are you feeling about classes starting this Tuesday?
1: Oh, well, the first part is great, but my first class, unfortunately, is biology, which I Ooh. had to take uh, because it's required and I do not like biology. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, it goes okay.
0: Are you taking it because it's like required for your major? Nope, just required for liberal right. arts yes. uh, requirements, all that good stuff. All right. Well, all the, all the best to you. All the best to <laughs> all of our student listeners right now as they start their new school year. Uh, instead of, you know, doing homework, why don't you follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. You could hear us tweet more, especially because, you know, I and Jack have been moving in for the past uh, couple weeks. So we haven't gotten the chance to really do too much tweeting. But obviously, as people have noticed, if you're following us at Final Third Show, we have been tweeting more because we're. We're back. We're yeah. back, baby. Al- alternatively, by the
1: way, uh, you could listen to us while you do your homework. You know, multitask oh, yeah, on there. There yeah. you go. We're not going to be held liable for any <laughs> any uh, different responses like, uh, you know, or saying that we shouldn't do your homework, whatever. All that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about soccer because that's why we're here. Jack, you know, transfer deadline day was just this past, what, Tuesday? Past Tuesday, yep. Yeah and obviously a lot of different transfers have happened, so let's hop into the newsroom where we talk about a bunch of different news stories happening in the soccer world, not just transfers, but some other controversies as well. Let's go over some transfer day hot or nots, the deadline day hot or nots, and what hot or not is, if you've been following the show, is a game where I ask Jack if a transfer that happened this past week is a hot transfer, so is it a good transfer or is it a not hot transfer, a cold transfer? And let's get started with Sabitzer to Bayern Munich. Yep, RB Leipzig lose another one. Bayern have taken RB Leipzig's best defender, their head coach, and now their star midfielder, Marcel Sabitzer. The midfielder was involved in 34 goals in the past three seasons for Leipzig and has averaged 2.55 shot creating actions per 90. He is a very good player. So, Jack, as the game goes, is this transfer Sabitzer to Bayern Munich hot or not?
1: Well, this window has really seen the emergence of the RB Leipzig to Bayern Munich pipeline. Yes, yes. uh, As opposed to the Dortmund to Bayern Munich pipeline, which has been around for the better part of the last decade. But, Mm -hmm. you know... Leipzig's best players are all leaving, uh, and he's going to Munich on a four-year deal. He's 27 and will be playing under his former coach, Julian Nagelsmann. It's really good for Bayern. I'll I'll start off with that. It's very hot for Bayern because Thomas Müller, he's a great player, the Romdeuter. He's fantastic, but he's not getting any younger. He's 31, only four years older than Sabitzer, but still... It's going to be a good way to future-proof this role that Bayern really thrive off of. But for Leipzig, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're basically forfeiting so many goals every single season. So it's it's not good for them. But you know, for for Bayern, it's really fantastic. Very hot transfer for them.
0: I, obviously, I agree. I think that's like the most uh, yeah. level-headed take out of all of this. I think that, you know, Sabitzer moving to Bayern, I, I think that really hurts RB Leipzig's chances at potentially, you know, getting a, a Bundesliga title or at least challenging Bayern Munich. So, oh, absolutely. you know, it sucks for them, but doesn't suck for this next... Uh, team that's receiving this player this Antoine Griezmann to Atletico Madrid. Griezmann after signing for Barcelona just two seasons ago for over 120 million euros is going back to his old club Atletico Madrid on a season-long loan with an obligation to buy for 40 million euros. Griezmann got 20 goals and assists uh, for Barcelona uh, last year but back in Atletico he scored 50 goals in three seasons, Barcelona most likely had to sell him to get some money and get his contract off the books because, as we all know, Barcelona are in kind of a strife right now. So, Jack, is this transfer hot or not?
1: Yeah, well, he's arguably a club legend for Atletico. Mm-hmm. Like, you could definitely argue that. Uh, Griezmann, he's coming back after two years uh, on a loan, $40 million buy obligation. This is scorching hot for Atletico Madrid, I think, because... Uh, he, he's a fantastic player. He's really good at providing creativity. He's good at kind of playing in the hole, uh, which is f- fantastic. You know, they have good strikers. They have decent central midfielders. They don't really have that number 10 presence at Letico. So, this could really elevate their game, especially when you consider who's up front converting some of those chances, Luis Suarez. So, I think it's very good for them, but this is ice cold for Barcelona, really. I mean, you can take it one of two ways. Yes, it's good that his wages are off Barcelona's book books, but still ba- basically they, they paid 80 million euros, essentially assuming that he gets bought at the end of this loan for a two year loan that that's terrible business. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it's really bad for them more un uh, unused potential really leaves with bad decisions by the club. I mean, it, it's really bad for Barcelona. Atletico, like I said, fantastic deal. You know, they sent out one of their best players on a two year loan <laughs> and got eighty million off of it. Yeah, basically, that's that's pretty good. So, uh, Atletico continue their good business. Barcelona continue their bad business.
0: In a way, I do think it is hot business for Barcelona. Oh yeah, you if can, you, you can if say you, that. If you look at it in the long term, from uh from what is it like egg to grave or whatever like like. Obviously, this is a bad move because mm-hmm. getting Griezmann, not using him to, him to his potential, and offloading him for a, a net loss is a, a bad move overall. But at the same time, if you look at this in like in a vacuum, a bad player, not bad, but but an, an underachieving player given Barcelona's status, who is very expensive, getting him off the books is like a very positive move. So I, I think off the field, it, it's pretty hot. On the field, like losing him. Is going to hurt that their chances at going for the La Liga title. So there is that. Do you think do you think Griezmann and Atletico Madrid will win the La Liga title now that he's there?
1: I actually think I think Atletico are the strongest team in La Liga. They've only gotten stronger really. Like mm-hmm. uh the only notable loss for them, I guess, would be Saul, which we're going to talk about yes. soon, but you know they they uh, they've only really strengthened so mm-hmm. i i think that they were probably favorites to win the
0: title well let's talk about another player going to the other madrid team and maybe this player could elevate that team to la liga success i'm talking about camavinga to real madrid the 18 year old midfielder is leveling up now going from ren in liga and heading to real madrid for 30 million euros camavinga started 35 games last year for ren at 17 years old and managed to be in the top 15 percent in terms of progressive carries dribbles completed tackles pressures and pass completion percentage per 90 he's joining an aging midfield filled with isco modric cruz casemiro so jack camavinga to real madrid the youngster the wonder kid is this hot or not
1: yeah well uh I think it's a very hot deal for Real Madrid and very cold for Ren. Okay, uh, because Real Madrid signing an eighteen-year-old who uh, who's has like the potential to be world class on a six-year deal from uh, from Stad Rene. He he's very technically gifted. He's very good at breaking down the lines with passes. He's pretty cool under pressure, and he he has good dribbling too. Like he he can be a threat to goal from midfield. And when you consider that Luka Modric is thirty-five. Tony Kroos is 32 and Casemiro is almost 30. This is a very, very, very good deal for Real Madrid. Especially since it was 30 million, I believe, that they paid for him. I think so, yeah. The reason why this is so cold for Ren, though, is last summer they were asking for 60 million for Mm, him. That's how highly they rated him for. And because he his contract expires soon, I believe it's in the next either next summer or two years from this summer. (laughs) He, he would have gone for a lot less and uh, like his value dropped significantly and Real Madrid pounced. And R- Ren, they, they ended up in the Europa Conference League after being in the, the Champions League, losing out on some revenue there as well, having a terrible performance in the Champions League. They were forced to sell him for a lot, uh, a lot cheaper than they wanted him to. And they lost really their best player. Like they don't really have any other standout talents i'd say right uh, really so i think that this is terrible business for Mm -hmm. ren because they could have asked for so much more if it wasn't like you know the covid market where Mm -hmm. prices are so much lower but yeah it's very bad for them
0: that that's really interesting because i i did not know about their price point last season i had this as blazing hot before but now i'm kind of i'm cooling on that no no pun intended i should say yeah so yeah i mean when you look at it, they are losing someone that they were going to lose, but you know they could have asked for more. But Real Madrid—they're getting someone who's good on both sides of the ball. He's a great midfielder uh, who can add a lot to their attack. Uh, I think it was—I think it was Reed who asked us because when, when I tweeted about this move when it happened, saying oh, this is a really good move. Real Madrid are getting this, like a world-class player, a future world-class player. And he asked me, "Well, is this someone who can?" contribute right now or later in like in a couple years because he's only 18 right now Mm -hmm. and yeah i've been thinking about it and i think my answer to that is it doesn't matter like it truly doesn't matter because a we he's surrounded by world-class players already so it's not like he has any pressure to deliver right away but at the same time, if he does, if their injury crisis continues, then he can step in. And, you know, if he fails, if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because he's 18. They're going to still back him. So I think no matter what happens this season, his situation at Real Madrid is secure. And I think that's going to be good for his development.
1: Well, I think he contributes right away. Really? By the way. Yeah, because, you know, their midfield is old. They can't play as many minutes. They're in a lot of competitions. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. They're,
1: the Champions League. they were going to need players to fill in there. And also, Camavinga. He actually set a record recently. He is the youngest player to ever play for the French national team nice. since 1914. Like he he is a very large talent. Like he has he has incredible talent. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that he can contribute right away. And you know what? I hate Real Madrid. I I, I really don't but as a supporter of the french national team he i i think i i i'm so excited to see what he can do because i know he can hit the ground running and do it
0: all right i'm really excited to see that then i hope that he is a really good player because I, I i've been watching his highlights i've been watching his games and he is a very good talent maybe an understated talent is this next player emerson royal to tottenham hotspur emerson royal after being celebrated as uh, pretty much a new signing as he had been coming back from a long-term loan at Batiste. He came back to Barcelona and from loan. He uh, enjoyed success at Batiste, th- that right back, getting them to sixth place last season. However, Barcelona then sold him to Tottenham Hotspur for 30 million euros. Emerson would go on to say that, quote, it hurt the way that Barca handled me. It's clear when they signed me, they thought of selling me. I left because I didn't want to stay and be sad at a club I loved. Ouch. You know, I, Literally 29 days after he came back on loan and uh, the, the president said, I, "I we have like a $100 million release clause on him. We hope he stays for many years. 29 days after that, he is shipped to... Uh, not exactly a, a, an upgrade compared to Barcelona to London. Still a good city, but, you know, a bit more rain there. Jack, <laughs> is this transfer hot or not?
1: This could be a pretty—this uh, could be a good deal. This has a lot of potential, but he he's generally better at attacking than defending. And the I know, like, a, I've read articles saying, oh, he has good recovery pace. And there was an athletic article mm-hmm. going all through this, but— He very recently at at, like the very top levels, he makes a lot of poor decisions and he, he was completely at fault really for Hetafé's equalizer against Barcelona. uh, The last game they played uh, before the international break, he got caught up the field because he was bombing forward and he just got burned because he uh, didn't step to the player. Right. And it, it really hurt Barcelona in that. So I think that his decision making is still a little bit suspect. Okay, which I, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade he is on Serge Aurier because they both have, they're both kind of liable on the defensive form of stuff. They're both good in front of goal, creating stuff like that, and can score. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just not convinced that this is a a true upgrade. Okay. I guess that I, I I know like there there's uh there's stats saying he's a great player, and I I I'm, I think he is. But Barcelona also valued him less than Sergi Roberto, which if if you ask any Barcelona fans about that, they would say that's the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, like Sergi Roberto is not a great right back. Yeah. But I I think that that could say a lot about about what they what they were doing here. And I think this at most this is a mild heat. At most. Okay. That's what I'm gonna say.
0: J- just a a simmer or a rolling boil. Yeah, a little I simmer. Okay. Well. I, I i think this is if nothing else it's hot for him because he's oh it's great for him yeah he, he's he's going to a club that actually values him and when you look at that i i, I think he's gonna get playing time I mean, he will no nobody spends 30 million just to bench a player unless you're like city or something yeah so i, I think th- well they even they only they spend 50 million to bench players oh yeah, yeah that's true uh so i i think he i think he will be in the long run okay Let's talk about a player that's more than okay, Jack. And I'll let you do most of the talking here. It's Saul to Chelsea, twenty-six-year-old midfielder from Saul uh, from Atletico Madrid. <laughs> His name's Saul. He's heading to Chelsea on loan with an obligation to buy.
1: Is it an obligation to buy? I th- I think there's an option to buy. Okay. I don't, okay. I don't think it's an obligation.
0: Right. Th- that sounds more right. He's played a key role at Atletico Madrid the past couple of years, including their title-winning season just last year, Jack. The Chelsea fan there's a Chelsea flag right behind you is this transfer hot or not
1: oh this is fantastic like I, I I'd say it's a very hot transfer because Sewell was so important to Atletico's title win last season he played 33 out of mm-hmm. 38 games he was important in their deep run in the Champions League in the 2019-20 season he scored the goal at Atletico to uh, start the downfall of Liverpool that season uh, and he he set up a goal in the, in the winnow at Anfield, too. Like, he he's a very good player. He is a very classy player. And, you know, it's great depth for Chelsea at central midfield. They need those options because they let a lot of players leave on loan who can play in that position, you know, especially like Billy Gilmore. Uh, and, you know, after their, like, kind of elite three midfield, so Kante, Jorginho, and Kovacic, the quality goes very, 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 very far downhill. Who's the Who's the fourth choice? After uh, Ross Barkley. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a pretty big downgrade. Right. And then after that, it's Ruben Loftus Cheek, who hasn't been the same since his injury. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is fantastic, great cover, and I think he'll play a big part this season if if Chelsea win any competition. And I'm pretty sure they'll win at least one. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> maybe not for you, hopefully, but hopefully yeah, yeah, and for hopefully me. Hopefully for you. Uh, I, I think he'll play a very big part in it. And, yeah, he 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 is an elite player. He has a great mentality. Uh, So, yeah, I, I think I'm very excited for it. And some people have been saying, oh, it's unneeded. But, you know, Chelsea are competing in five different competitions, the League Cup, the FA Cup the club world cup which i think a lot of people kind of pass over the premier league and the champions league they need a lot of cover because Conte can run a lot but i don't think he can run forever so i yeah, i think exactly. i think you know it's good to have such good cover
0: in mm-hmm. saul well when you have like all those competitions going on yeah you're right you need you need that uh that rotation especially if Conte is going to be more injury prone as he has been yeah
1: (laughs) i was gonna say he hasn't been the same since the injury he picked up in the uh, world cup final actually in 2018 Mm -hmm. he really hasn't been the same since then
0: yeah and yeah who knows maybe so is like a more longer term get maybe you guys do take the option and kind of you know set up your midfield to be more of a long-term project than just here's our elite three we're sticking with the elite three so there's that uh, this last one I included because, well, I included three transfers in one because <laughs> West Ham decided to do all of their big business uh, towards the end of the window, like in literally the last like two or three days before the deadline day uh, window shut. Uh, so there's three signings that West Ham made. And I'll talk about West Ham because I'm a West Ham fan. yeah uh, Zuma, the 26-year-old French center back from Chelsea, came in for $30 million. He was top 4% in Ariel's one uh, and top 1% past completion rate uh, I'm. You know, I'll I'll let you give uh, a hot or not, and I'll go in like player by player. We also had Vlasic, the 23-year-old Croatian attacking middle midfielder from CSKA Moscow, 23 goals in the past two seasons. And lastly, Alex Kral, 23-year-old Czech midfielder, came in from Spartak Moscow. He's six feet. His aerial presence is great, and yeah, he he is still a young midfielder, but he has a lot of potential overall. Jack, those three transfers in general was West Ham's uh, deadline day business hot or not? Yeah, well,
1: Zuma's good, right? He, mm-hmm. He's fantastic. Uh, Maybe may suspect in decision making at times, which fair. Uh, you know, it it it's not as bad as potentially Craig Dawson is mm-hmm. sometimes. I, I think you'd probably agree with that. And he provides needed center back cover, so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that he that's a hot piece of business uh even potentially very hot i mean uh but crawl uh he he's good he a good defensive midfielder uh with noble being practically legless at this point and yes. with no stamina might be a bit insulting to him but he he's he's old <laughs> well, yeah, he's it's very old end, yeah, yeah. and literally about to retire so i think that uh he he's very good cover uh i think it's a is it is it a one year loan for him yes, uh, with, yes. and uh, with the intention to buy at the end i think so mm-hmm. Uh, still very good 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 future proofing Vlasic I'm not so sure about it. really and the reason why is yes he's been very good in the Russian League and he's been pretty good for Croatia the one question I have is how he'll do in the Premier League because the last time he was in the Premier League it was not good
0: well I would say that was more Everton's fault it for could, yes, not that, playing him and you know sending him out on loans that,
1: that's that's true yes, yes but still he he wasn't particularly impressive in the times mm-hmm. that he did play for everton sure. so which is why he ended up going out on loan uh so i it, it will be interesting to see how he's grown since then uh and if if he's better suited to the premier league now which uh but for now i'm going to classify it as a simmer you know a, a okay, little simmer I, I i don't think it's bad because he is young he has potential i just worry given his past record in the premier
0: league sure I I speaking on Vlasic first because you you mentioned him. Mm-hmm. I think out of Vlasic and Alex Crawl, the, the two uh, young younger players that we picked up, I think I'm higher on Vlasic's chance okay. uh, like okay. ch- chances of panning out just because we have much more depth at attacking midfield and wingers than we do uh, central midfield. So just like how we handled Ben Ramo, where it was like a a very slow onboarding process to get him like used to the Premier League, even if it meant like not playing him as much. And obviously now he's tearing it up. uh, If we can do that with Blasic, we'll probably see similar success just because we can get him re-acclimated to the Premier League style of playing. Alex Kral, If, you know, Suchek or Rice go down, he's great cover, but that means he's getting thrown right in there. So I'm worrying about, like, if he'll be able to adapt as quickly as, say, you know, someone who's more inclined to do well in the Premier League, someone who's used to uh, the English leagues. Zuma, I mean, you know, it's Kurt Zuma. He's played in the Premier League. He's done very well for Chelsea. Even if he's not the best center back in the league, he is miles better than Craig Dawson. And so I think he obviously walks into that lineup, helps us out so much defensively. Uh, it's gonna be him and Ogbana, And I can't wait to see us score some corners because that's, corner goals are my absolute favorites. I'm really glad to see him uh, be happy to join the club. And I hope that we can treat him well and get him some, some more goals. Uh, And with that, that's our transfer, hot or not. Obviously, I think all those transfers are hot because I'm biased because I'm a West Ham fan. Uh, Let's talk about the transfer window in general real quick. Obviously, there's a lot of transfers. We got some signings that were good. Some signings were bad. So, Jack, let's go over some of the signings from this transfer window that we thought were the best signing, whether it's like just talent-wise or the best value for your buck and the opposite of that, the worst signing, worst value for your buck. Let's start, Jack. Do you want to you want to start on a good note or a bad note first? Uh, let's start on the bad note. Okay. <laughs> well, how uh, h- how many do you have, Jack? In that worst, do you have one? Do you have a couple?
1: Well, I, I have a, I have a couple of candidates for, for them. Like I I have I have I listed five best and five worst. Okay. As well as some honorable mentions as all well. So.
0: All right. Well, let's let's start with the worst signings. I'll let you go over yours. All right, so one of them, Gallini, to Spurs
1: on okay. a loan. Uh, he he's 26. He's he 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 should be starting for a team. He had offers all over Europe, but he chose to join Spurs, where he would be a backup. And I think that that might be the wrong career move for him. He also was not good the last time he played in the Premier League. Uh, can be suspect with his uh, with his goalkeeping at times too. Mm-hmm. He can make some good reflex saves. But he makes a lot of dumb mistakes too. Right. Uh, as an Atalanta fan, I can <laughs> I can I can attest to that. So I'm not so sure if that's right. Uh, Nuno Tavares to Arsenal. The only reason why is because I don't think a backup left back was what Arsenal really needed. They needed to spend that money elsewhere. Uh, it, it's not a terrible signing. It's fine for the future, and uh, it will be good cover. But still, I I think it could have been spent elsewhere bellerin to batiste only because it's only alone
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, because arsenal wanted to get rid of him they wanted to get rid of him last summer or he wanted to leave last summer and the uh, arsenal was like no we'll stay around we like you and then uh yeah it, it's they they would needed to get rid of him permanently and also uh it's bad for bellerin because he had barcelona and juventus calling for him last summer right and he turned those down and now he's going to batiste which is so much of a downgrade yeah. so, uh, from at least uh, Barcelona and Juventus. Uh, I also have uh, Luke de Jong to Barcelona. He's not interesting, he, he's okay for Sevilla, not fantastic
0: mm-hmm, or sure. anything.
1: Uh, and it's a loan, I, I don't think he's like you know, a, a replacement for like Messi or anything, and also. Barcelona have signed so many strikers this summer, I don't even know what they're trying to do if they're going to play like seven strikers <laughs> no, at sure, this point. Yeah. So it, it, they, they've signed a lot of strikers. I think they could have strengthened in other areas with loan signings. But still, not too bad. The, I, I think the worst one, honestly, has to go for, to uh, Sissoko to Watford. Okay. I think that has to be the worst one. because Why is that? Tottenham paid $39 million for him, mm-hmm. and they sold him for $3 million. That is terrible value for money and also his market value is 15 million. Hmm. They were so desperate to get rid of him and only Watford would take him for three million. That's the best deal they could get for a player that that you know is not terrible. He I, I think he has he, he has two goals for France in, in like 22 caps right which, not bad for midfield. still though, only being able to get three million for for a decent player is bad business by Spurs.
0: So I, I think that has to be the worst one. All right, one. I, I enjoy the fact that we had none of the same signings. Really, okay. Even though okay. I, I do agree with a lot of your signings. Uh, I have three worst signings, and I have, uh, I think, four or five uh, best signings, Sorry, with the worst signings. Number three, I guess I have them ranked, uh, is Grealish to City. And this is, this is a big one, and what I really focused on was like value for money, because that's really what the transfer window's all about. And when you look at City, and you look at what they could have spent on, and you look at what they got, like, Winger is not necessarily a a, a position of need for City. Right. They could have spent, you, you know, save $100 million, put that money to getting Hurricane, getting a true number nine. I think in the long run, that would have helped City more, even though Jack Grealish, obviously, good player, great player for England, for Aston Villa last season, the last couple seasons. Still could have used a, a better number nine. Next is Ronaldo to Manchester United. Now, this is, you know, maybe a pretty hot take. I, I, I'm high on this transfer in terms of what he can bring, but when I look at what Manchester could have brought with his high salaries, I mean, he's the highest paid Premier League player of all time now, I look at their huge hole in defensive midfield, and I just cringe, because I'm like, that... like. Attacking is not Manchester United's weakness right now. It's obviously that midfield. It's obviously controlling it and and i I feel like they could have done a better job here. I understand why they got Ronaldo partially to get Manchester City away from Ronaldo, partially to you know maintain their uh his legacy and his legacy with them. but at the same time in a vacuum, I feel like this transfer could have been done better, aka not happening and getting another defensive midfielder. Worst signing I have is Ben White to Arsenal. I just think this is like bar none, the the most terrible value for money tr- transfer you can get. Because when you look at who else went for 50 million, you look at Varane to Manchester United, who Newsflash is one of my uh, best signings. And you know, it's obviously the English tax. It's obviously Brighton, you know, upping that price tag. And I feel like Arsenal, for how much money they spent this transfer window, did not get nearly the top notch defense that they were promised. And that's why he's my worst signing. Jack, your best signings, what were they? Well, first of all,
1: Ben White is a good shout. I f- I can't believe I forgot <laughs> yeah. about him. Uh, but number one for me for best has to be Messi to psg on a free
0: that's good it has to be that's that for value for money yeah and that's better than ronaldo to manchester united because when you look at who they had before no offense to the likes of i don't know Di maria or whatever it's obvious that messi is markedly better than uh say whoever is going to be on the wing or in front for manchester united mario riccardi you know uh, exactly mario
1: riccardi uh but that is the best value for money. Mm-hmm. Like, y- there is no transfer that was better value for money than Messi going to PSG for free and taking a salary reduction to play there. Like, that 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 is incredible. Great business by PSG. Uh, I'm concerned about the sports washing element of, of it for yeah, Qatar. So yeah, well, obviously. There, there's a little bit of that, but still, it, it is a good signing. I can't deny that. That's my number one. Second, I have Lukaku to Chelsea because value for money. I personally think Lukaku last season was a better striker than Harry Kane. Mm -hmm. He, he, I think he, he did a lot more work, honestly. And he, he's better at holdup play in my opinion. He's also, he also has better physicality Mm -hmm. and, you know, 97 million for him after Inter said they weren't going to budge. Chelsea got them to budge on selling their most important player. And also, you know, he he's already showing really promising signs. He's played one game, scored a goal, almost scored another one, if not for a great save by Bernd Leno. You don't get to say that too often. Uh, but, you know, it, he, he is showing very promising signs already, and I, I think it's a very good transfer. Number three, Donnarumma to PSG on a free. One of the best goalkeepers in the world right now. Backing up another great goalkeeper, like you, you know, you're <laughs> that 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 is great value for money. Veron United's on there as well. Like you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. forty one million for him when uh, I think like Real Madrid were looking more for sixty million. Great, great piece of business. Some other honorable mentions I have though: Tenali to AC Milan, fifteen million for one of the most highly rated U- young talents in Serie. A. Very good piece of business by AC Milan. Giroud to AC Milan I have sure. is a good deal because it 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 is it's sad for me as a Chelsea fan but it's good for Chelsea because they were able to extend his contract and get a little bit of extra money from it. 1.8 million mm-hmm. and AC Milan are signing a, a striker that's doing a, a lot of good work for them already so uh, that's good Rodrigo de Paul to Atletico Madrid uh, that's actually that that'll be the last one I'm going to mention on here the other ones aren't as good as these other ones <laughs> but you know Udinese valued him at like 60-70 million and he went for 30 million mm-hmm. to make a midfield at Atletico that was already good Marcos Llorente Coke uh you know already better like and he and fresh off winning the Copa America too where he was really really good you know I, I think that it it shows really promising signs
0: for Atletico All right cool uh, I have a couple too I, I have some repeat ones I'll, I'll go in order from 5 to 1 Number five is Upa Makano to Bayern. I don't think that it was necessarily like in the time that the transfer window was open, but he moved Ryan. this summer. And obviously this is, you know, taking one of the best players from your rival team is always going to be good business. And once he really gets settled into Bayern, I think he's going to absolutely tear it up in that uh, defensive uh, central spot. Next, I have Mollen to BBB, uh, Borussia uh, Dortmund. I think that this is. I think that this is going to be a really good signing for them. Maybe underrated for a lot of people. He moved from I believe PSV to Dortmund. This is gonna help Holland a lot because he has another attacking uh, player to work with, and I think he's going to eventually tear it up in the Bundesliga. I have Varane and Sancho to Manchester United just because obviously they are very good players. Uh, upgrading that winger and that central defender spot really important for them next i have the combo Messi, and particularly because you didn't i don't think you mentioned them hakimi and sergio ramos to psg completely revitalized their uh defense and i think that it turns a pretty good great even psg team to like a very truly elite psg team front to back and the last signing i have is lukaku to chelsea do I think that he is better than Harry Kane was yes. last season? I think he's a better striker, <sighs> sure. But also Harry Kane was the top goal scorer and top assister in the Premier League for a not great team. That's like pretty good.
1: Uh, but counter argument this season, Lukaku has one goal in the Premier League and Harry Kane has zero. Oh, so I mean, if we're talking about I this know, season. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm joking around. Joking around. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, I think Lukaku. See, the thing about Lukaku is that it's not just good value for your money even though they spent a lot of money so i'm i'm not going to talk about that then i'm going to talk more about this completes the chelsea team exactly and i think more than any other transfer it is the most like important for this team transfer because yes like getting players that you were uh, in a position of weakness that's important lukaku is the last player that Chelsea needed in order to potentially win multiple trophies this season. So I think he is the best signing of this window. Sorry, Ronaldo. Sorry, Messi. Sorry, everybody else. That's how I see it. Jack, we have one more transfer news. If he, unless you have something to say, Rick, real quick.
1: Uh, I mean, I was going to say the, I was going to mention Hakimi as an honorable mention. Okay. I'm also not as high on Ramos as you are. I think, I, I think that it's not the best signing because he's, okay he's kind of old very injury prone recently and also i don't think he's actually that big of an upgrade to their defense all kind right. of a hot take arkinios right. and Kimpenbe are good
0: well at least he's a good penalty taker true all right true <laughs> let's <laughs> better on. than mbappe that's <laughs> oh cries yeah. oh, in french yeah uh well <laughs> i don't know what to say to that other than uh you have some transfer news to lay on us this is philip kostich 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 yeah some transfer drama there i have no idea what this is other than i saw the word emails a lot and that gave me a tip that this was some pretty big news jack what happened there
1: yeah well philip kostich we've talked a lot about transfers that did happen time to talk about one that didn't happen and uh so he he's been a great servant for his club Eintracht Frankfurt. He's been one of their most important players, and he's been pushing for a move this summer. He wanted to move to Lazio. Lazio wanted to sign him, and it seemed all good. However, there were some nefarious actions at work, in which Eintracht Frankfurt provided a fake email hmm. to that to uh, Lazio in order to keep him, because that is what that that is how determined they were to keep a hold of him. And, you know, uh, this is according to Italian journalist Gianluca Di Marzio. Uh, Frankfurt intentionally gave Lazio the wrong email address to contact that, them so they didn't have to tell Kostic a bid had been made for him. So when Lazio sent their first offer, it never reached them. So Kostic's agent eventually found out about this and was understandably upset. Uh, he, he was furious and has not shown up for training since. So it seems like a pretty bad thing, uh, a pretty bad occurrence. Lazio did send another offer to the correct email address, but Frankfurt rejected it and never told Kostic that bid was made. So uh, he, the window closed without him being on there. So basically, the reason wh- uh, what happened, the email that they gave them was eintrachtfrankfurt.de. Not Frankfurt. Hmm. So they sent they either Lazio sent it to the wrong email, or they were provided the wrong email. And given given that there's a few sources saying that it's the wrong email and that's what happened. I, I I'm I'm feeling like that might be what happened with this. And Frankfurt, they've lost a lot of good players. Andre Silva, especially. Yeah, great player. So, you know, they were probably desperate to keep. At least one goal threat uh, <laughs> at their club, so I it, I feel like this might be something they did. But if they did, it's scummy without Rats. a doubt because he deserves to go to a place where he was wanted and where he wanted to go, and especially after he's done such great things for Frankfurt, getting them into European competition again. I I think it's I think it's really bad, regardless of how you look at it. Even if. Uh, even if they didn't
0: sabotage the email, they not telling him that that second bid had been made. That's terrible hmm That's something that if you if you do that in, like in football manager The like the player will just refuse to play for you and get that's, mad that's at you. what's happening He, yeah. he uh,
1: refused to play against Armenia B mm-hmm. He's refusing to show up for training and I I feel really bad for him because lots of you were asked about this the their uh, Manager or not manager. their like front office guy. I don't remember his sure. name uh, but he, they were asked, "Are you going to try and pursue in January?" And they said, "Unfortunately, it looks like we're not yeah, going to be able to." That's
0: so tough. So he that's missed so tough.
1: his his opportunity that he wanted to go to. I don't know who wants to go to Lazio by on their own accords, but apparently he did. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it sucks for him. And you know, I, I think Frankfurt they could put themselves in danger of kind of scaring off other players from right. wanting to transfer there because they're going to be like, Oh, that's the club that sabotaged their own player's career. Mm. I don't want to go there. So yeah.
0: I don't know. That's, that's very tough. I have nothing else to add other than, Hey, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> uh, well, we have one more news piece before we go into just some uh, minor, smaller stories. Jack, this is Brazil versus Argentina. We ha- we predicted this last week and, uh, it didn't happen. It didn't happen for uh, one big reason. Are you familiar with with what happened?
1: Yes, I am. I, I haven't seen the video, but I've heard a lot about it so far. Yes.
0: It, this is h- fresh, hot off the presses. This literally happened a couple hours before we started recording. Let's talk about what happened with Brazil versus Argentina or as I say, Brazil versus Argentina, gone wrong. (laughs) Six minutes into the World Cup qualifier between these two countries, Brazilian health officials stormed the field and suspended the match. From what we know, it's because the four Argentinian players that play in the Premier League, Buendia, Martinez, Romero, and Los Celso, did not complete the mandatory two-week quarantine mandated for travelers from the UK going to Brazil. The EPL and the CBF, which is uh, Brazil's, you know, FA, had an agreement for these players to play, but not an agreement with the Brazilian health authority. The authorities warned the CBF, the AFA, the Argentinian Football Association, and Conmebol of this, but were ignored on all accounts. At least according to them, this is all, like, what I'm about to say is all from the Brazilian health officials, for a variety of reasons, take that with a pinch of salt, right? (sighs) They also allege that the four Argentinian players falsified their immigration forms, saying that they did not pass through any banned countries, including the UK, even though that's markedly false, and were actively avoiding the government officials to avoid deportation. In fact, the AFA reportedly locked their locker room doors to stop any officials from interfering with their game plan. Now, those four players are facing deportation. We literally saw four players get deported live on national TV while they were playing a football match. In fact, according to the Brazilian officials, the four players were told to stay at their hotels, do their quarantine, but Argentina obviously did not comply. But on the other side, because this is like a he said, she said, what Argentina is saying, they're alleging that they were told, they were never told that they couldn't play. They were told that they could play by everyone that they talked to and that nobody ever notified them of any issues. So who do we believe? The answer is nobody, not at least for a little bit. I don't even think we're going to get a real quick answer until probably this episode comes out. Maybe all of this is old news because something did come out, but from what we see, it brings in a question. There's a lot of questions you could ask here. A, why did everyone ignore what the brazilian health officials were saying why didn't the officials do three minutes of research to find out which epl players were on the argentinian <laughs> team so they would be like hey romero uh wait a minute i know who you are <laughs> obviously you're lying or better yet why did the cbf you know not do anything if it's going to affect the game that they are controlling and not to get two tinfoil hats but why is Brazil caring about COVID now when obviously their you know, prime minister, president, whatever, and the rest of the country's uh, government officials haven't been? Also curious that the government officials weren't wearing masks when they stopped a potential COVID breach. That's kind of weird. This entire situation is weird. Jack, How? what do you think about this?
1: Uh, given everything I know about it, feel like it's kind of a bit of a scam uh, a, little a little bit to, a little
0: scammy yeah a little
1: bit uh because uh you know it, there's just so many holes in the brazilian story yeah for this like jair bolsonaro does not care about covid does at not. all in the slightest he thinks it's fake never has yes literally says that it's fake he he even caught it and still thinks it's fake like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't care about it the health officials like you said weren't wearing masks Automatically discredits a lot of what they're saying. The country has never taken it seriously. They hosted a tournament there. They didn't take it. They didn't take it seriously at all. What has changed? Oh, Argentina proved that they were better than them once. Yeah. In one scenario, and now they were worried maybe that they were going to do it again yeah, especially with a weekend squad
0: because they were facing exactly
1: and yeah. Like, like yeah that that adds another dimension to it i feel like the, i feel like argentina were were uh, just fed some false information uh-huh. just so they could stage this i'm not going to i like you like you said a bit too conspiracy theorist yeah. maybe but
0: yeah it, very if, possible if brazil's health officials are to be believed then obviously what the afa did was wrong nothing short of absolutely crazy but you know i don't even know who to believe right now so I'll, I'll, let's just move on that's crazy hope they replay it or something happens because that is absolutely nuts i've never seen a live deportation during a football match that's a that's a that's a new one i think that's i'd like to say it's never happened before and hopefully it never does Jack, let's go over some real quick news. I'll get a start off with Houston Dynamo firing GM Matt Jordan. The Houston Dynamo, who are currently last place in the Western Conference and on pace to break the MLS winless streak, have Ooh. fired long term. Yeah, yeah, woo. General manager Matt Jordan. After seven seasons, three different head coaches, and only one playoff berth, it was clear that his shortcomings could not be redeemed. The Keeping Tabs podcast guys are probably happy. We know they are actually. Yeah. And we sure are happy. For them. Yeah, they, Jack- li-
1: they literally tweeted at us <laughs> what, what, as soon as it happened, celebrating. So yeah. uh, they, they are very happy, as are all Houston fans. But our next story mm-hmm. uh, has Portuguese fans very happy. Yes. As Ronaldo breaks the men's international mm. goals scored record. Uh, with his two goals against Ireland, Cristiano Ronaldo breaks the record for most international goals scored in the men's game with 111 goals, breaking Iran's Ali Day. I probably butchered that that sounds
0: pretty right who who
1: previously held the record with 109 goals christine sinclair though still holds the record between men and women with 187 goals in 304 games and in fact there are nine women who have more international goals than ronaldo as many people pointed out on twitter to all of the accounts that claimed he was the best international goal scorer of all time
0: yeah so ronaldo looks like got some more work to do Uh, This next guy doesn't have any more work to do because he's already proved it. Troy Deeney leaves Watford after 11 years with the club. Striker Troy Deeney is leaving Watford FC and joining Birmingham City. He scored 131 goals in 389 appearances and is going down as a club icon who will forever be remembered for giving us one of the most iconic goals of all time. The last minute game winner against Leicester City in the EFL championship playoff semifinal. Who
1: could forget? Here's
0: hog. Dini. Yeah, and he, that call is iconic. Yes, it is. And the way he just jumps into the crowd, takes his shirt off, starts celebrating. Amazing. A- AJ hates Troy Dini That's for the true. record. And he I'm, and he <laughs> even loves that goal. So I, I'm keeping it level-headed. I don't like him for all the stuff he's done <laughs> against West Ham. But... That is what it is. Let's talk about a, something happier, though, Jack. Yeah.
1: Well, Soccer Aid, the annual charity game for UNICEF, happened. Its tenth iteration happened yesterday, as of recording this on Saturday. The World Eleven, including Usain Bolt, playing again, yeah. faced off against England, which included Wayne Rooney, uh, Micah Richards, Gary Neville, all all sorts of players. But the World Eleven faced off against England and won three to zero with what will be one of the weirdest sentences i think said on mm. here with a brace from love island's kem sednaev okay. and a last minute goal from comedian lee Mack. <laughs> i don't think anything crazier will be said on uh, at least in this episode uh so just just take that all in it, it's a great event for charity as, as always and yeah. but it, it's still funny that you know to see lee mac score after having a, a pretty terrible game to be honest <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well this episode's already kind of wild. we have a love island uh contestant <sighs> scoring and we have some live deep scoring a race yeah as well yeah. crazy crazy let's go into the u.s men's national team corner we are recording this right before the canada game we're actually going to watch the canada game together but i thought we talked about the el salvador game and after the the canada game we talk about the canada game uh El Salvador ended up as a 0-0 draw. U.S. men's national team uh, tried to take care of business authors. They weren't able to do that. But there's a lot of factors that led to this draw, a lot of things to take away. We can look at El Salvador and the great game plan they had thanks to a USA great, Hugo Perez, their head coach. El Salvador was really able to soak up pressure while at the same time continually bother the USA defense. We can also look at individual mistakes, Dest and Aronson, even Sargent did not look ready for CONCACAF. It seemed almost like they were mentally rattled, unable to cope with the pressure, leading to some pretty bad giveaways and decision-making. Our finishing in general was especially dire from Sargent and others. Sometimes it was purely unforced errors, just lack the polish on and off the ball. A lot of things can be done better there. We can look towards the fact that Pulisic is the person on this roster that has the most World Cup qualifying caps, highlighting the inexperience that this squad has in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, a problem that obviously solves itself when you play just more and more games. We can look to Berhalter's tactical mistakes, particularly in my opinion, playing Aronson as a number eight instead of Reyna or an Acosta, someone who would either add more to an already dynamic attack. or at the very least, boss the midfield like Acosta. Picking Aronson meant that our midfield was kind of overloaded at times, as he didn't really add much to either side of the ball. We can especially look towards the fact that we were playing in El Salvador, away in El Salvador. The USA has only ever won eight away games in the final round of World Cup qualifying. No matter who it is, it's a hard game playing in Central America. You know, we can look at all these different facts to see why we only got a 0-0 draw, but we what we can't look at is a particular scapegoat. Berhalter got some mistakes, you know, he, he made some pretty bad mistakes, so did all the other players, but to say that this, this is even mostly on one factor, either Berhalter, the players, what have you, is such a cop-out answer that it's frankly disgusting how many people latch onto Halter out instead of taking a step back and examining the big picture what is the big picture we're fine obviously it's one game with an inexperienced squad in one of the most hostile environments of all time it's clear that the overarching issue here is obviously squad inexperience and i'm tired of people saying that you know, these players play in the champions league in the Premier league so they should handle things against el salvador away game or not inexperience or not hey but ask you know to, to make a, a very rough analogy here but when you look at warfare for example and you look at organized militaries going into militaries of other countries especially like you know, i'm from the philippines you can look at the philippines uh, vietnam any of the central american countries Everyone knows that it's harder to enter countries that you are not familiar with. I mean, that's why the Americans won the Revolutionary War because we knew this country and expect to get a win. It's it's obviously not the same thing, but when you enter a hostile environment where the players know the field, they know the, the weather, they know every aspect of their home stadium and the home culture and everything, How can you expect to go in there and play your way? These players play in Western Europe. They haven't had nearly the experience of playing in these hostile environments unless they play Champions League in Eastern Europe or they are in the CONCACAF Champions League or they have played in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Like The fact that they're familiar with their home country makes it harder to play them. And you know, it truly doesn't matter how technical you are. It's about how gritty you are, how badly you can fight through the poor pitches, the loud stadium, the rabid fans, launching fireworks outside of your hotel at 3 a.m. And I'm not bashing El Salvador for doing that. As long as it's nonviolent, that's an interesting, unique part of footballing culture, but it goes to show you how hard World Cup qualifying is. Are we an improved squad from years past? Yes. But does that make success automatic? Obviously no. It takes time to set up a culture of success. A couple of bad results tell us nothing about the direction of the team. But when you look in the long term, you could tell that we are markedly better, markedly improving from years past. It's not just burhalter messing up. It's not just playing in a way day. It's not just the players playing poorly. It's an amalgamation of all those different things. And what that tells us is that many of these things need to get fixed if we want to be improved. And I think the overarching thing that needs to be done Is just we need to play more games. We need to get more experience. And once that happens, a lot of these issues do get away. Playing away becomes easier. Uh, Those mistakes become less and less. Berhalter knows which players that he can rely on more heavily. Let's just all calm down here. Uh, This is where I cut to the Canadian game. We do have the lineups up. Gio Reyna is out uh, because of a hamstring injury. Hopefully he comes back. Weston McKinney is also out because he... Broke team protocol. I just I just read mm-hmm, it and exactly. That is now
1: like the third time he's broken COVID protocols
0: yeah. for club and country. And what does that necessarily entail for his future with the national team? I, I he's obviously going to get picked, but this is obviously not a great look for someone who should be potentially in a leadership role, one of the the better players at the in the national team. Really, like disappointing from him. Disappointing uh, that he was that dumb I, I don't know if it was necessarily covid or if it was something else but pretty bad uh speaking of covid zach stefan has covid uh and he got replaced with sean johnson let's see how this canada game goes future aj should i be happy or sad all right well past aj the answer is you should be pretty sad pretty mad because the usa just tied with canada one to one our second draw in a row uh we only have two points in this world cup qualifying Uh, final round this was a draw Uh, the two scores were brendan aronson in the 56th minute and then kyle Laren in the 63rd minute overall uh i think this was a, a very tough game to watch because we saw a lot of glimpses of being really good very good stuff and some glimpses of being not so good well that's every game i suppose but yeah. but in particular with 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 this team you saw what this team could be right we had we had some very for the goal you know a rob to Aronson. it, it was good build up play great combo
1: fantastic cross mm-hmm. everyone really contributed to that one
0: yeah in fact all of the robinsons Anthony and miles were very good uh defending and uh going forward and then you had uh, some players in particular, I would say, that really underperformed. Number one is, you could say, John Brooks. Yeah. John Brooks got just let Kyle Laren have acres of space for yeah. that goal. He got caught out uh, up the field. You know, uh, players got around him a ton. Yes. You can look towards DeAndre Yedlin for getting put in a spin cycle by uh, by and Alfonso Davies to set up uh, that goal. Right. He got the assist. You could look at PFOC, Jack mentioned, uh, our number nine situation has not been great. We've seen, like I said, glimpses from PFOC. He's he, he's had some good chances when Sargent came on. He had some some good movement in there. Still couldn't find the, the back of the net. Still couldn't find any real clear-cut chances. Uh, I, I don't think Kellen Acosta was was very good. That's kind of oh. just like a whatever.
1: He, he had, like, like we've been saying, he had some really good stuff that he did do, but there was a lot of poor stuff in, yeah. in terms of just like trying to pass
0: forward and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't he, work he, out. Even Brendan Aronson, he scored the goal, but at times he uh, would lose the ball easily or, or he wouldn't really do anything of note. Sometimes seemed almost invisible until he scored that goal and all was forgiven, obviously. But... We we keep on on seeing this this pattern for the past couple of games, and obviously on the show we like to talk about the big picture and patterns. Well, a pattern is, like I said before, with El Salvador, we're seeing individual errors with these players. Things that, I mean, no coach can really prepare for deaths to get injured. You have to put Yedlin yeah. out there against a a, a very good Alfonso Davies, even if you try to like double up on Alfonso Davies, like he's just like that good of a player. De'Andre Edlin, John Anthony Brooks should have done better there, and that goes to show like these individual errors are costing us. And uh, n- not not only that, but when you think about Weston McKenney. yeah, Gio Reyna getting injured that sucks. Zach Steffen he wasn't gonna start anyways. Uh, Timothy Weah getting injured that sucks too. Weston McKenney breaking COVID protocols in whatever way he did very well could have cost us the extra two points.
1: Honestly, yeah. And it's not the first time he's done it for club or country uh-huh. either, which I think if this keeps happening, like uh, this kind of poor decision-making off the field, uh-huh. that could be a big problem for the U.S. for years to
0: yeah. come. Yeah, he, he he really let the team down, and I'm worried about his prospects going forward with the club that he plays for, whatever that, that may be in the future, and this national team if he's not going to be a leader figure. Because imagine if it was LeJet, him, and Adams suddenly our midfield is looking a lot better suddenly we're we are probably winning in the midfield and of course you know we talk about nuance and we need to talk about all the different aspects we could talk about coaching too i mean Burhalter, like canada was playing very well they, they sat back we were we are breaking them down pretty well defensively do you really blame like the defensive lapses on berhalter like i i I struggle to think what Beralter could have done to necessarily change that, other I, than
1: no, there, there, there's nothing he really could have done to make it better. M- like
0: maybe direct Adams to play deeper, maybe yeah, do I, a back three. I don't know. I
1: guess, but e- even then, like you know, Yedlin is a, on like should be a decent enough player to still cover some of the ground yeah. or at least do the defensive work. May like, but there's nothing that he could have solely done himself. That would have prevented these things from happening. Mm-hmm. Like that. That. That's. That's the reality of it. All the people that are calling for like Berhalter out, no. Well, he, I don't think. I don't think so.
0: Here, here's the thing. I have not been on. I, I've been pretty neutral on Berhalter. I know I've been pretty pro. What it seems like pretty pro Berhalter. But overall, like as a person, as a human being, I am Berhalter neutral. Because if he if he starts doing badly, I'm gonna be like, yeah, Berhalter out. I, I have no attachment to him other than. I think he's a good band manager if uh here's the thing like e- even if he doesn't perform super well against honduras I, the pros and cons of letting him go at this point are is very tough he he proved that he could be good because of the tournaments right and obviously why would you fire him after a tournament why would you fire him after after winning two tournaments, yeah, in yeah, exactly. E- even with the friendlies, even with the friendlies back in 2019, like it, it th- there hasn't been a great point there to fire Greg yet. And I, I think even if he doesn't, per- even, even the team doesn't perform well against Honduras, I think that might be a bit premature. But now we're getting to the point where if we fire him before the World Cup, that also kind of throws a wrench in everything. At the same time, I, I think if if October goes badly, obviously there's no choice but to to fire him. But at the same time, like I was saying before, he won two trophies. The guys like playing for him. These are two tough draws, and I'm, I'm not trying to be like a Berhalter apologist. Like I said, like I, I'm all I've always been skeptical of essentially his substitutions.
1: Yeah, that he had Heath syndrome tonight at least. Yeah. For- Adrian Heath, like, hey. never subbed in players.
0: And, and it's weird because a lot of times in the Gold Cup, his substitutions were, like, good. And, and they changed the game. Even last game, his substitutions led to... led to positive movement in the attacking third. But something I've always noticed and something that I've called out, maybe not on this podcast, but because, you know, we've only played a handful of U.S. Men's National Team's games under this podcast, but in 2019... Uh, in, in the early uh, 2020s that was an issue him subbing in these players late mm. and i'm not going to say that getting uh, uh pfock out sergeant in and uh, conrad in would necessarily change the game right away but maybe 15 or 10 more minutes could have done something right yep.
1: Seven minutes is way too late to change a game uh-huh. with substitutions. Yeah. That,
0: I mean, it can happen in rare cases, but not really. It, it, it just wasn't that smart of a choice. Like I said, I, I think U.S. Men's National Team Twitter is going to blow up. I, 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 oh, I it did, is. I, I did post a tweet saying Berhalter out, Berhalter for pr- No, Berhalter for prison. That was a joke, obviously, because we're going to see a lot of really hot takes what this team really needs to do going forward is a obviously get that experience up. This is a, it was a home game that doesn't really apply here. That's more for the those away games. B, we need to find a way, like collectively, a way to, you know, number one, help cover for John Brooks because that that was a large reason why he you know fell apart and the team fell apart but also get some more attacking dynamism Because w- w- we saw that from Pulisic. He changed the game completely compared to El Salvador. We're actually creating chances. Him and A-Rob were great. Unfortunately, Gio Reyna is injured. So we need to find more of those outputs. And it- it's it's really hard to see, like, a necessarily uh, star player that we can put in, like, it like plug and play like they they will be the game changer but something has to happen i think that's tactically i can't really speak to like what Berhalter is going to do behind the scenes but just something has to happen there because defensively am i too worried no because that's the first goal we've we've like conceded in open play in like how many games it's more the attacking and and that's been a, a big issue with Berhalter teams in the past columbus Hammerby, uh, the other teams that he he's helped out with, so that just that that just needs to change. Jack, any, anything else that you want to see improve from this team?
1: Uh, I mean, just be ba- just basically going for those runs, trying to be more mm-hmm. vertical. You know, not always passing back because there were a lot of times uh, towards the end of the game where you know players could have passed forward but chose to pass back. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, there's situations where they have to pass back, but it seems like way too often at least today players who are more interested in passing back than they were yeah. going bold and and we need more boldness
0: and and that that, that is a, a very regular criticism of legette and that's something that, that i've mentioned like i, I love Leggett. i think he, he's very good at ball retention he had a, a great uh play today where, where he was on the ground he did a spin move to re, to retain the ball and pass it uh to relieve some something. pressure yeah, yeah. But that's something that he does, that's something that Ro does. like all of our midfielders, like Tyler Adams included can get into that. and I, I wouldn't really say that's like something that needs to change right away. but overall when you look at these two games, you realize that there's some creative uh mistakes going on here where we're, we're not getting the attacking movement that we just so so desperately need. And I, I think if we're looking at these two games as like a start of a trend line, that that is a big thing. thing. Inexperience in Cockcalf was uh, a a big theme, especially in El Salvador. And I think yeah, th- those individual mistakes that you can't really pin on Berhalter, but more particular players. That's a big thing. And we obviously mentioned Berhalter, like the uh, the tactical mistakes like with uh, player subs. Like, guess that's not, not really tactical, but uh, for first game playing Aronson and I think overlying on Aronson kind of screwed us over of course we played him because we have a little bit of an injury concern but i don't know at this point i'm just rambling jack anything else before we 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 finish off here
1: no i'm just hoping we get the win against honduras and uh so we can exit this window with five points i think most people would be appeased with five
0: points maybe not happy but yeah appeased all right yes uh of course it's gonna be hard because it is going to be away But uh, a lot of questions are going to be asked, rightfully so. Let's kick it towards the predictions game and uh, finish this episode off. All right, see ya. All right, hopefully I was happy. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go to our uh, predictions from last week. Okay, Yeah. did I drop the ball and not tweet out the poll for the listeners? <laughs> yes, yes. Was I moving into a new apartment? Yes, so cut me some slack. What I'm thinking here, Jack, is we should give uh, the listeners maybe... I'm gonna give them ten less than the maximum score that we scored. How about that? Like, okay. like as in, if like if I score eighty points, they get seventy. Or right. maybe we could divide it by two. But I'm thinking like, <laughs> like just ten less than the top score is fair. Just to make it up for our listeners. I'm I'm sorry. This week I'll definitely have uh, the tweet <laughs> the Twitter poll up at Final Third Show. Go ahead and vote for who you think is gonna win next week's predictions there. But Jack. Before we get into you know next week's predictions, let's talk about last week's predictions. What was the scoring system here?
1: 10 points for getting the winner correct, 20 points for getting the exact result correct, and zero points for getting none of it correct. And
0: spoiler, I got a lot of that third category. <laughs> yes, you did. Starting with this first game, El Salvador versus U.S. men's national team. I already covered this. It was a 0-0 draw. We both said USA would win. We had a lot of chances. That just didn't happen. Jack said three to one for USA. I said two to one, zero points for us. Jack, uh, Spain versus Sweden. I'm covering this, actually. Yeah. (laughs) We both knew the defensive advantage Sweden had, but little did we know about their offensive advantage. As always, Spain were the better team on paper, so they had the possession, 75%, the XG, 2.12, and the passing, 6.92 compared to Sweden's one82 yet were wasteful with their chances. Sweden were deadly on the counter and scored two unanswered goals through Isaac and Cleason. The first goal coming just one minute after Carlos Soler scored for Spain in the fifth minute. We both thought this would be a draw because heck, that's what it's been for the past <laughs> couple of meetings for these guys. 0-0, zero, zero, zero points for him. I got at least a little bit close, one to one for zero points as well. Jack, let's talk about France now you're wearing a France sweatshirt. How did Ukraine versus France go?
1: uh it made me angry i'll t- I'll say that much uh sp- real real quick I, I I watched this game after I got back from the Minnesota State Fair. a great wonderful, joyous occasion and I was met with sadness immediately uh because France were terrible in this game like not not i'm not going to sugarcoat it at all they were terrible they they were completely they they just seemed totally out out of it for this game they yes they had the possession yes they had the expected goals yes they had more shots and chances created but they were they wasted every single chance First of all, Ukraine scored first. Shaparenkov scored in the 44th minute to ensure that Ukraine went into the halftime ahead. And somehow Martial was the one who scored for France. Uh, Barely. He barely got it over the line uh, from about one meter out, maybe. Uh, Piatov almost scooped it out of the net, but it just wasn't good enough from France. Uh, Griezmann and Pogba, Chumaini had a decent uh, showing. Rabiot was okay. But our defense was bad. Zuma was not good. Digne was good, or was not good. Dubois was not good. Coman was not good. Lloris was bad. He should have done better with that gov Chaper- goal. This now makes it five draws in a row for France. Yikes! And d- some of those draws are completely respectable. Some of them are. They're against uh, Portugal. A draw against them is fine. But drawing against Hungary, Switzerland, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Ukraine. That's unexcusable. I'm honestly Deschamps out at, at this point. Wow. Uh real real just uh because he is waste he's wasting this talent of this French team. He is wasting the talent that they undoubtedly have. Uh but then no, enough ranting about France. Enough <laughs> making me an upset. I'm going to get upset at the next one too. Uh I guessed one to four for France. Deschamps let me down again. I should have guessed a draw, uh, so I get zero point. AJ guessed a draw. He he saw the trends coming. He guessed the exact correct correct score, a 1-1 draw, so he'll get 20 points from that. And since you know my, my trend for believing in my teams, you probably guessed how the scoring went for this next one, Slovakia versus Croatia. Honestly, Slovakia were super unlucky to not win this game. They had the expected goals on them. They had 1.64 to 0.72 expected goals. They had more shots, more chances created, more big chances. They they were uh, they were far they they were far better for most of this game. But Croatia struck at the very end in the last five minutes. brazovic scored from outside of the area after uh, Slovakia did not clear a corner very well and scored to make it one to zero unfortunately Slovakia they did try at the end uh to get they actually had two good shots on target after they after they uh after they took the lead Croatia but they couldn't summon up enough attacking prowess to do any damage and unfortunately that means that my 1-0 win for Slovakia if only I'd predicted the other way and wasn't blinded by faith uh I would have gotten some points but zero points for me AJ went with the favorites didn't get twenty points. He gets three to one for Croatia. He'll take ten points though.
0: Yes, I will. And we'll actually take no points for Brazil versus Argentina. As he said. It didn't be- happen. As we said before, a couple of deportations got in the way of that. Jack said two to zero. I said two to one. Uh obviously we get no points for that. So how this ends, Jack, <laughs> <It's> is terrible. <laughs> is it is? you did get for the me. worst possible score. You got yeah. zero points from those four games. I got thirty points. Not but it is actually tied for the the best result so far this season. As we promised, uh, we're going to take the top score, subtract by 10 to give the listeners the score because I messed up. They get 20 points, Jack. And so do you know what that brings our total tally up to this season? I have no clue. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. From the past three weeks, I have 65 points in total. Listeners have 45 points in total. You have 55 points in total so you're right in the middle but now i have taken the season lead it just takes one week where you get zero points for it's nowhere, go to, go nowhere yeah. to go but up
1: nowhere to go but up from for this week
0: well you can also go sideways you can get zero points uh, again next let's, week. let's
1: not let's not do that i i hope not
0: well let's actually get started with next week's prediction so hopefully you know zero points is not on the cards for you uh let's start off with the first match honduras versus westman's national team this is the last world cup qualifier this window for the usa really i'm just gonna hope for the best without reyna and whale be hard but if pulisic brooks and adams are healthy i can think we could potentially squeak out a win away from home hopefully weston McKennie's back from sus- team suspension i'm gonna go with a really gutsy one to zero win where we all get happy or inevitably we still get pretty angry. That's just how US Men's National Team Twitter works. Jack, what do you see this ending as?
1: I I had a 1-0 win for the US Men's National Team, but I'll I'll go for a 2-1 win because I don't want to okay. have the same score. Uh that that's going to bite me, I know. Uh because <laughs> uh Conca calf will Conca calf. Uh Honduras is a tough place to play, but the last time they played, it was a 1-0 win for the US. I I am just going to hope. Uh, Pulisic is going is is hopefully not going to get injured this game against Canada. And he'll be playing, so I, I think it will be fine.
0: Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully all you guys will uh, participate with us in this Twitter poll that I hopefully do tweet out uh, at Final Third Show. Just uh, wait for either Monday or Tuesday, and I'll tweet out uh, a, a quick poll for you to fill out these next uh, five games uh, to, to see who who the fans think will win those games. Uh, the next match is Leicester City versus Manchester City, uh, a Community Shield rematch in the Premier League. Jack, who's taking this?
1: Well, the Foxes haven't performed well against City at home and have not won there since 2018. That's a pretty bad home record against uh, City. And I honestly think it will be the same again. Um, I'm going to say I'm gonna say a 2-1 uh, road win for the Citizens there. Uh, you know, I, I think it's possible.
0: Mm-hmm. I... I obviously agree with you because I had a wanted to as well. <laughs> I just think that City are in such good form. They did lose like a pretty, a pretty tight game with Tottenham, but since then they've destroyed two relegation candidates, Arsenal and Norwich, each five to nil. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and Leicester's defense is a huge question mark. They've conceded a goal to Norwich and conceded four goals to West Ham. Evans, Bertrand, Pereira, Vestergaard, Justin, Fofana are injured or just coming back from injury. That's not a recipe for success. So I'm gonna upgrade my two to one to a three to one for Manchester City. Jack, RB Leipzig, uh, Leipzig, yep, versus Bayern Munich. This is in the Bundesliga. I'll start this one out. Although neither team is on top right now, these are the two preseason front runners and very well could be the teams featured as contenders later on in the season. To me, it comes down to the transfer market. Bayern strengthened themselves by weakening Leipzig. They took, obviously, Sabitzer and Upamecano, but Leipzig, just in general, faced a net loss in talent. Yes, they brought in Mariba and uh, Andre Silva, but like I said before, they lost Sabitzer, Upamecano, uh, Konate to Liverpool, and their star head coach. And it's hurt them so far this season. They've lost against teams that they should have beaten before. Bayern have scored 9 in their last 3 league games and I see them winning again pretty handedly. I'm going 1 to 3 for Bayern Munich. Jack, what about you?
1: Yeah, well, 4 out of the last 6 of these games between them have ended in draws. Okay. But Leipzig, like you said, very weak. They've lost pretty much all of their best talent. Like, I mean, yes, there are still good players there, but very a, a, a lot less than before. Mm-hmm. Bayern is very strong. I, I think Bayern will do it. I'm gonna say two to zero. I I, I really think that uh, you know it would be really poetic too if Upamecano and uh, Savitzer were the two that got the goals. <laughs> it would be so poetic, but I am not gonna go as far as to predict
0: that. All right. Well, hopefully we have all agreed on the the, the same uh the, the same results here. So maybe this next game we can disagree. And this is Manchester United versus Newcastle United. Ooh, how- I don't think we're gonna disagree. Here. <sighs> yeah. We, we obviously have a, a, a Wilson hat trick, a 3-0 for Newcastle, right? No, a Joe Willick hat trick. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. That actually might be a little bit more uh, likely, I suppose. You know, Wilson's yeah. a, a fine striker. But the reason why I picked this and not another uh, matchup is because this is Ronaldo's first match back with Manchester United. Jack, who is winning this? I'm guessing it's not actually Newcastle.
1: Yeah, well, uh Newcastle haven't won at Old Trafford since Sir Alex Ferguson was still managing wow. United. So let, let's to put that like that just, just think about that for a second. It's not a good place for them to play. If it was at St. James Park, I would give them a chance of getting a draw, maybe. But with Ronaldo being back, he's gonna want to approve something on his debut. And I'm not sure if he could ask for a better defense to do it against than Newcastle, as in the worst defense. Yeah. Really, not a good one at least. Uh, so I, I think that United are going to win this three to one. Uh, they are missing players, yes, but Newcastle are
0: Newcastle. So, yeah. Let me tell you, Manchester United's attacking options. Some of them are injured. Some of them aren't available. But Sancho, Cavani, Rashford, Fernandez, Lingard, Greenwood, Martial, Ronaldo. It's going to be three to one for uh, Manchester United. Uh, Is their defense sometimes suspect? Yeah, but also it's Manchester United and it's Newcastle United. No offense, Newcastle. I'm going with Manchester United. Finally, our last game. Maybe this is actually the one where we have some disagreement. North Carolina Courage versus Portland Thorns in the NWSL. The top two of the NWSL are duking it out. It's actually not the top two right now, but if North Carolina beat the last place Kansas City, they'll be back to second. I want to believe that they are going to. The Thorns just lost to O.L. Reign, so they are not infallible. The last time Courage lost to the Thorns at home in a non-NWSL Challenge Cup play, because you know Challenge Cup is its own little thing, was in 2017. Listen, when you got guys, or girls rather, like Lynn Williams, Debinha, Amy Rodriguez, all in pretty good form, that's a scary team. Yes, they lost Abby Dahlcomper to a trade, but this is still a really great team. The Thorns, to their credit, have another amazing team who have done pretty well going on a very long undefeated uh, streak before losing to O.L. Reign. But they have Crystal Dunn, Christine Sinclair, even some uh, smaller options like Simone Charlie, Sophia Smith, and going back to great options in defense in midfield, Becky Sauerbrunn and Lindsey Horan. For any other team that they play, that's absolutely a wrap. But the courage have proved it this season before and they'll continue to prove it again that they are among the challengers for the nw Swell title that was actually not an intended pun uh the challenge girls, challenge cup i think they have the courage i can do this all day to win the title one to zero that takes winning this game yeah one to zero that's who i have jack one to zero for the courage yes
1: God. <laughs> God. I have the same thing, uh, but I'm going to change it to a two to, two to one. I'll, I'll change it to a two okay, to one.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, here's the thing Portland have only lost twice in their last 10 games. True. One was to OL Rain most recently. The team that the only other team to beat them was the North Carolina Courage, and that was in Providence Park, too. They went to Providence Park and got a two-nil win against them. That's impressive, however, you look at it. And I think they can do it again. North Carolina they do have the courage i'm gonna steal the pun from (laughs) you so two to one for them uh you know i think they're going to be a real thorn in Portland's side i'm sorry (laughs) that was terrible
0: (sighs) this is what happens when you have american style naming conventions i know the puns are unstoppable it's
1: too yeah unlike our name uh by the way if you can think of a good pun for our name please dm it to us
0: We'll never come up with the one never that doesn't work <laughs> uh, All right, that is it for our predictions Jack. How are you feeling? We have literally all the same results <laughs> Well at least
1: if, if I get zero points, you'll get zero points. So there, there's at least that little bit of security in this so At, at, at best I can do I can get about the uh, a little bit better than you and at worst We'll be at the same position as we were at the beginning of the week so
0: i think the worst actually our listeners is doing better than us like both of us true. for the first time this this season that so. is
1: true it's possible it, it, listeners if there was a week that you could do it it's now
0: yeah all right that is it for the final third podcast we covered a lot of transfers uh some drama some uh records being broken and some predictions as well jack where can people find us on the social media
1: at final third show on twitter and instagram Uh, We're way more active on Twitter. You can find polls for predictions on there. You can find uh, hot takes, cold takes, good takes, bad takes. Uh, It's like one fish, two fish, you know, all (laughs) of of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, check it out on there uh, and give us a follow. Give us some likes, retweets, you know, those are appreciated.
0: Yeah. Also, um, follow us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify a podcast addict, what have you. Always appreciate that. Also appreciate the fact that, you know, if you leave a review, that would mean the world to us. We read out any five-star reviews, so if you want a free shout-out, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and tell your friend that you enjoy the show. Tell your dad, even, that you enjoy the show. I'm sure he would love to hear about the transfer window that just expired. And, yeah, we'll see you guys this Thursday for a Champions League-themed deep dive. And same time, same place, for our news and predictions episode next Monday. See ya. Bye for now.